Greetings and welcome to the Prometheus Project Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Bist. Thank you for joining me on this exploration of creativity. I have a quick show note here before we get started. Uh, Apparently, the uh, recording software I use, Audacity, is not compatible with OS Catalina, so I'm having to use an alternative GarageBand to do the recording today. I'm hoping it sounds equally as good or possibly better, but I don't know. So uh, my apologies if the uh, sound isn't up to par. All right, well, let's get started. Now, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. It's because it's going to be a history lesson. (laughs) Uh, Did you know that back during World War II, there was a group of artists, writers, and other creative types that helped the Allies win Europe? Now, these individuals used their unique skills to deceive the German army and help the fighting units by drawing fire away from them during the advances and also making the enemy troops think that there are allied troops where none were stationed. It's really an amazing story. The U.S. Army unit was called the Ghost Army, although they were officially known as the First Headquarters Special Troops. Now, they got their start at Pine Camp, New York, which is now known as Fort Drum, back in 1944. The members of the unit were recruited from advertising agencies, art schools, and other professions that required creative thinking. You know, like architects, set designers, sound engineers, even actors and writers. An odd mix to recruit for armed services, don't you think? The official history of the Ghost Army was written in September 1945 by Captain Fred Fox, but it wasn't declassified until 1996. So what they did was bring these people together then shipped them off to England to assist with the war effort leading up to and after D-Day. I think one of the cool things here is that they were stationed near Stratford-upon-Avon, which, if you aren't aware, was where Shakespeare lived and wrote his plays. These creative types were encouraged to use their skills to develop ways to deceive the German army. Now, think about that for a moment. This was not a group of trained soldiers. These were artists, people who had probably never handled a weapon, who lived their lives surrounded by paint and paper and canvas. They spent their time on stage or behind the scenes creating showbiz magic. And they weren't sent through boot camp. They weren't trained to kill. Their mission was to deceive, to use subterfuge, to use their skills of make-believe to create large-scale illusions. And while most army units consisted of thousands and thousands of troops, the ghost soldiers numbered just over 1,000. And keep in mind, they did all their work over the course of one year. Basically, the first detachment saw, saw action in early June 1944. And by June 23rd, 1945, they were on their way back home. So what did they do to help the war effort? Get comfortable, because this is some very cool stuff. To begin, how do you train a bunch of creative types to use their skills to fight a war? The fact was, there was little training involved. The few scenarios dreamed up by the men in charge weren't real-world compatible. Basically, no one was sure what it was they were going to be doing, so they had no way to train for it. Now, their first mission was part of Operation Fortitude, 
which was the Allies' attempts to deceive the Germans about the impending D-Day invasion. There are a lot of sub-operations going on here, minor operations, including trying to convince the German army that the invasion was going to be in Norway. So with Operation Sky, the Allied troops worked on radio deception. Basically, they made up fake radio communications between fictional army units and their movements. And with Operation Quicksilver, the Allies created fake buildings, uh, dummy aircraft, uh, landing craft, and deployed them along the English and Scottish coastlines. They went so far as to bring in General George Patton so he could be photographed with all the fakery, thus giving it more credibility. Now, the tactics used by the Ghost Army were inspired, and when you take into account the low-tech things they had available to them at the time, it was amazing they were able to pull it off. They didn't have computers or CGI or anything like that. They relied on practical effects, things that could be made quickly with whatever supplies were available. To me, one of the funniest things they pulled off was using inflatable tanks, cannons, jeeps, trucks, and airplanes. They toted this stuff around with some gas-powered air compressors, inflating and deflating as necessary. They'd set up a bunch of these inflatables on the edge of a forest and camouflage it kind of badly so it could be seen by the German reconnaissance aircraft. They'd even go so far as to create fake landing strips and encampments, hanging clothes on clotheslines, leaving equipment laying about, maybe having a couple of campfires burning. You know, whatever they could do to make the scenario look legitimate. A fun fact, this unit utilized a lot of young artists who spent their free time painting and sketching the local people and landscapes. This includes artists like Art Kane, Bill Blass, even Arthur Singer. The unit also worked with what was called sonic deception. Prior to deployment, these sound engineers went around to various military bases in the U.S. and recorded ambient sounds. You know, tanks rolling, planes tanking off and landing, troop noises, the yelling, the cat calls, stuff like that. Once on the ground in Europe, they would drive around in these half-tracks, which are basically big flatbed trucks with wheels in the front and tank treads in the back, and they had these huge speakers mounted on the flatbed part. They could use the pre-recorded sounds to help convince the locals, the spies, and the scouts that there were some huge amounts of troops of men and machines moving through the area. According to the history, the sounds could be heard up to 15 miles away. And keep in mind, this was before digital media, before CDs and before tape recorders. They used something called wire recorders for their work. It was sort of like a tape recorder, but instead of using tape, the sounds were recorded on a thin piece of steel wire. That just blows my mind. The sonic deception also tied in with radio deception. Basically, they created phony traffic nets by impersonating actual Allied radio operators using Morse code. Now, they do this to make the enemy troops think that Allied units were moving east instead of west, or to give the impression the troop count was much higher, or that the troops were leaving later than expected for an advance. And then there was atmospheric deception. This was when the Ghost Army used theatrical effects to throw some confusion into the mix. This is probably the trickiest exercise for the troops because it entailed simulating actual units that were deployed elsewhere in Europe. 
They'd use convoys of trucks and equipment, painted with duplicate insignias, driving repeatedly over the same routes to make their numbers look larger. Now, one of their major deceptions was Operation Bettenborg. This ran for just over a week and helped to defend an undermanned section of the Third Army's front line, over 20 miles of front line. They didn't have much time to plan this operation, but despite the lack of direction, the Coast Troops pulled it off. I won't get into all the fine details, but basically, the 3rd Armored Cavalry was in need of help to hold this line, and they were stretched incredibly thin. The Ghost Army was charged with impersonating elements of the 6th Armored Division to cover these gaps. In other words, they used 500 Ghost Soldiers to pretend that there were actually 8,000 real soldiers. Now, one of the divisions arrived at the location near the front line in the afternoon of September 15th, and as night fell, began inflating the tanks and other fake vehicles. They were setting up tents and, and set other items out to make it look like the real troops were in the area. The sonic trucks arrived soon after, and between 10 p.m. and midnight, they played the recordings to make it sound as if the real tanks and heavy machinery were moving in under cover of darkness. They were so effective that a colonel from a nearby Allied cavalry unit showed up demanding to know why these tanks are in the area without his knowledge. The Coast Troops had to explain there weren't any tanks. Or 8,000 soldiers. Yeah, they even fooled their own side. Now overnight, the men painted their fake vehicles to give them the correct insignias, sewed the correct fake patches onto their uniforms, and began broadcasting fake radio chatter. The next morning, a few of the men went to a nearby village, as if they were on a 24-hour leave, so they could be overheard talking about the reinforcements and how many men they were and what kind of armory they had. They knew there were spies about and that word would make it back across the front line to the German army. Now, despite the fact the ruse was only supposed to last two days until they were relieved by the 83rd Infantry, the real reinforcements were delayed and the ghost troops had to do their best to keep up appearances for as long as possible. Now, German patrols did get close, within a couple of miles, but the illusion held until the 83rd arrived. But they wanted to ensure that no one realized that there really wasn't an armored unit in the area for the past week, so the ghost army decamped under cover of darkness, deflating their tanks and vehicles, and then played the sounds of the heavy machinery moving out of the area. It worked perfectly. In fact, after the war, it was reported that the German scouts had reported everything from, quote, an armored combat command to several divisions in the 23-mile front zone, unquote. That's fantastic. But you see, this goes to show the power of creativity, how art can literally change the world. Remember that the next time you hear someone ask, what's the point of art? You've heard me say that art is all about self-expression, and I feel that's the root. But at the same time, art can be used as a tool. In World War II, it was used as sort of like a weapon, but the Ghost Army wasn't out to draw blood or to kill anyone. They were there to deceive, to help the trained soldiers do their jobs, to keep them safe by using misdirection and misinformation. To me, that's fucking fantastic. A group of actors, artists, sound engineers, set designers, costumers, they pulled their talents and became an integral part of the Allied war effort. In fact, without them, 
there's a good chance the Allied advance would have stalled after D-Day. The truly sad part of this story, though, is that it was kept secret for so long. The armed soldiers, the ones who fired the weapons, who faced death, they've been recognized as heroes. And don't get me wrong, I have no problem with that. But I feel some sadness for the members of the Ghost Army who didn't receive those accolades. They worked so hard to protect their fellow soldiers. They put their own lives in danger. But no one knew about it for over 50 years. Many of these men died before they could be thanked for their efforts or recognized for their contributions. For what it's worth, they're no longer forgotten or a hidden part of history. So for this episode's closeout, I'd like you to take some time to learn more about them so you can just see how important art and creativity really are in the real world. For starters, you can visit the Ghost Army Legacy Project. There's a lot of great information there, along with photos of the inflatable machinery, samples of the art created by some of the troops, and lots and lots of details. The website is ghostarmylegacyproject.org. And there's also a documentary that was shown on public broadcasting here in the U.S., but I believe it was also shown in like 25 other countries. You may be able to find it in your location, but if you can't, you can get a copy online at ghostarmy.com. And finally, yes, there is a book available, The Ghost Army of World War II. That goes into a great deal about the uh, forming, training, and the exploits of these incredible human beings. You know, even if you aren't interested in war or in history, learning a little bit about the use of creativity in an unconventional manner might open you up to some new ideas for your own creative projects. I highly recommend it. Well, that's it for this episode. Feel free to drop me a line through my website, richardbiz.com, or catch me on Twitter. And for what it's worth, this podcast is a labor of love for me, meaning all the costs involved come out of my wallet. If you'd like to contribute to the hosting costs, I do have a tip jar on the podcast page on my website. Any contribution will help offset a little bit of the expense, and you'll be rewarded with my eternal gratitude. <laughs> Until next episode. Cheers.